it's uh yeah it's a really big deal nice i would have gone had i known all right y'all ready to do this yeah yeah let's do it all right i'm kicking this off All right, all right, all right, Leadheads. We are back. Took a little break. We made it back. And uh, this is going to be our fourth episode for this month. This crazy month of November. Which we still don't have a, I guess, unanimously declared or legally declared president. So we're still kind of presidentless going into the next next year. But uh, we're gonna we're gonna talk about some stuff. We're continuing our Liberty series, and we're gonna do that with welcoming back because he missed the last one. We've got LOP himself, Jay. Jay, welcome in. Hey man, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having having us by again. Yes sir, yes sir. We understand that uh, you had to do some uh, combativeness with your uh, school board last time, so I hope you won. Hope you came out triumphant. <laughs> yeah, it was a thing. Right. It's a thing. It's a, Shit you got to deal with being a parent, right? Well, well you know, you, um, you either meander through life, you know, with uh, wearing the boots or wearing or having one implanted on the back of your neck. <laughs> or up your rear. <laughs> and uh, always ever faithful, we have none other than Brian Keeney with Occam Defense Solutions. Brian, welcome in. Great. Great to be here again. It's going to be a great show. I know, man. Um, so, won't you just kind of give our leadheads a little bit of taste of what we're going to be covering on the main topic today? Main topic is the Great Reset, which is really popping in mainstream media, right? Or let's say alternative media, <laughs> mainstream alternative media like uh, Ben Shapiro, Tim Pool, Tucker Carlson's done a little bit on it. Um, and so, uh, We've got a special guest who's been telling me about it since June or July, and uh, LOP Actual has been hitting me about it for about the same time, and so we're going to have uh, some knowledge drops from some really bright guys here today. Yeah, so I've been trying to cram on this uh, this topic for the past two, three weeks, and uh, I've got a you know, pretty good grasp on it, but I'm very excited to have uh, our special guest, and go ahead and tell them who that is, and He's going to be. He's going to join us here in just a little bit. Yeah. So it's uh, David Giesel, and he is um, kind of as close as a Renaissance man as you can get these days. His degrees are in uh, electrical engineering, but he has a pretty deep background, graduate level background, I'd say, in Austrian economics. So the the real shit. Um, also has raced cars, built race cars. He uh, has a somewhat legendary upgrade to the Honda Insight to turn it into a car that's actually really fun to drive. So people rave about that if they're in the Insight community. I've never and heard of the Honda Insight. What the hell is it that? It is the most fun car you've never seen. And um, it's a little like race car with a, it's a hybrid, it's a hybrid electric, you know, gas car that yeah. where they did it right. Honda knows what they're doing. And it's a two-seater, and it's really low to the ground. And uh, his big upgrades were in figuring out 
how to switch out the shocks and springs and suspension and all that so that you could really drive the piss out of the thing. And uh, electric motors and David and I were in business for several years together doing um, electric cars. And uh, the, yeah, it's a really sporty when DC motors are really great at torque at low RPM and combustion engines are better at torque up at RPM. And get, when you uh, get you yeah. guys hooked up with Brett over at Tactical RX because Brett's into like those souped up racing Honda like CR is they CRXs or I don't know what they yeah. are. It's like a low slung CRX. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's cool. They're really badass. They don't make them anymore, but they're they're a really cool car. So uh, yeah, and he's also the co-founder of Occam Defense, and he's not with the company anymore, but uh, oh. we're still good buddies, and and he made. He's on some of the patents uh, for the Merc and uh, was nice. kind of my first cheerleader in getting going other than uh, James Yeager and some other dudes. But, you know, my first friend was like this. Oh, and he's a gun guy as well, I should say. So, uh, like I said, real renaissance man. He's from Alaska and uh, was big active in the liberty movement up there for quite a while. Very cool. And, uh, so, yeah. yeah it's so going to be a good show. Looking forward to, to having David. And like I said, he's going to be joining us here in just a a few minutes. We're going to try to get a little bit of gun talk in before he joins us uh, because we do have a little catching up to do. The Fiocchi family has been producing high quality ammunition since 1876. In 2020, Fiocchi is launching a full line of premium products, everything from self and home defense to the long range categories. The Fiocchi Blue Guardian line will feature specially tuned products specifically for home and self defense, featuring lead free technology and the only NATO certified zero pollution primer in the world. Fiocchi's a proud sponsor of the Talking Lead Podcast and the Leadhead Brigade. Fiocchi trains, Fiocchi protects. Like I said, we uh, took a week off there and we traveled down to Georgia, went to Fleming, Georgia, to the Big Daddy Unlimited Epic Shoot. And it, it, they didn't undersell that at all. Uh, it was epic. It's probably one of the uh, best organized, best executed range day events that I've ever been to. So I really want to give those guys props on uh, putting together such a successful event. Uh, there was probably well over 300 people in attendance. I haven't heard a, an official number uh, on that yet, but uh, uh, it was a really good time. Got to meet uh, some new companies, and we're going to be introducing some of those on upcoming podcasts, so stay tuned for that. Uh, and, uh, of course, we uh, got reacquainted with some of our existing companies and uh, our sponsors. Uh, Century Arms was there, and we, we talked to them. They've got a couple of new offerings that are going to be coming out soon. Uh, they've got an MP5 clone. They call it the AP5. Uh, very cool uh, version of that. It shot really well. I was impressed with it. And uh, they've got an AK that's... Uh, uh, who was the, is it Thunder Ranch? Is that who that custom AK was for? What's the guy at Thunder Ranch? What's his name? Clint, Clint Smith. Smith. Yeah, a, Clint Smith. Oh, it's like a Clint Smith version. Like all the things that he likes to, he would like to see on an AK, they've done a version of that. And uh, we'll be talking about that in some upcoming episodes too. But I've uh, been posting some pictures on social media. You can do the hashtag Epic Shoot 2020. Uh, or Epic Shoot, and uh, you can see all the other media people that were there. Everybody's been tagging that, so you can check out some, some uh, all the, the cool media that people are posting from that event. Um, I think it's like their third year or something like that. And it's, it's a range in Fleming, Georgia, 
And it's like a private range. It's really, really nice. I was impressed with it. Uh, but we're going to have those guys. We're going to have Big Daddy on. We're going to talk about the event. We're going to talk about who they are and what they do. Uh, they're a very large buyer's group. And some of you leadheads may be members of uh, Big Daddy Unlimited, so you, you understand what I'm talking about. But we're going to get them on. We're going to talk about that in some upcoming episodes as well. Uh, don't forget to go and support those that sponsor this podcast, Caltech, caltechweapons.com. We're working on a trip to go down to Cocoa Beach and do an actual tour of the Caltech facilities. Believe it or not, I have never been there in all these years. I have not been to their facility yet. They've been trying to get me to come down and uh, we're probably going to do that first of the year. Probably be fill fill the time for shot show, which shot show is not going to happen now. So we got some yay, <laughs> yay! <laughs> it's one of those bittersweet victories, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty bittersweet, all right. Yeah. No doubt. Uh, Fioki, Fioki Ammo, FiokiUSA.com. Uh, I was fortunate enough to get a, a shipment in the other day. I got some more 223, got some 12 gauge, got some 9 mil, uh, a couple of other rounds, three, 308s. They're uh, still a little bit behind on some of the 762. Uh, they're subsonic rounds. They're looking at the first of the year to be getting those out. So you guys be, be on the lookout if you're looking for that ammo from Fioki. It'll be out first of the year. And of course, Mission First Tactical. Uh, go there, and you can get the talking lead wallets and dump trays, uh, plus all their other cool offerings. That they've got wallets, they've got furniture for your AKs—not your AKs, but your ARs. They had some furniture for AKs, but they don't have that now. They're working on it. Uh, but some cool hand guards. They've got uh, grips. They've got brakes. So go check them out. Mission First Tactical, uh, and then of course our good buddies Occam Defense Solutions. Brian Keeney there at Occam Defense. Uh, what do you guys got going on new there at Occam, Brian? We got a new product about to be released that we've been jamming on um, that we made debut on this show, if that sounds like fun. Hell yeah. Uh, and uh, we've been cranking, trying to, to build up stock of handguards and hex stocks and all kinds of stuff. It's the variability in the in manufacturing right now is extreme so it's it's really hard to do planning so the 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 big uh we're just trying to stack as much firewood as we can i guess i should say and um yeah and try and get get guns out consistently and get more guns out um and and 2020 is fighting us every step of the way but um we're still managing to increase efficiency and and keep quality up and yeah we've got a bunch of good guns going out the door this week so we're stoked about that and happy to be able to work and you guys check him out on their social meds brian is always uh really good about posting on instagram some videos and and whatnot of his manufacturing process and whenever he's got guns out he's Test shooting, uh, nothing to hide there. He's uh, very open with his process, and uh, it's very entertaining, too. So we appreciate you posting those, Brian. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, you know. Yeah, man. We do this for the love, and it's it's the best job I've ever had. It's the hardest, for sure, but also the most rewarding. Really, this sounds like, you know, pablum or like I'm just trying to pump people's tires, but our customers are 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 so great and uh it's a real joy to be building something that people actually want you know my old jobs i didn't ever talk to the customer and so when i get a chance to talk to you guys and and hear what you like and what would you could use improvement um it's just awesome so uh 
yeah, I feel very lucky to get to do what I do. So thanks, guys. Very cool. Very cool. Modern Spartan Systems, for all your gun cleaning and lubrication needs, check them out at modernspartansystems.com. And also their TVT engine oil additive. Uh, just, uh, like I said, been running that in the lead sled, and I took it down to Fleming. That was uh, eight hours, eight-hour drive from where I'm at, so 16-hour drive. I've got 325,000 miles on the old lead sled now and running great because of that Modern Spartan Systems TVT engine oil additive. Uh, they've got a new product uh, that they that they've got out now. It's called Vero Spectrum Spectrum Shield. I'll spit that out in a minute. It's a mouthful, uh, and I don't know a lot about it yet. But just here's a little quick down and dirty, and it, it may be something that we talk about a little more in the future. Vero Spectrum Shield is a proprietary 100% all natural herbal formula in capsule form that helps people to quickly fight off the raging effects of a viral attack. Dramatic pause. Including COVID-19. Is there one of the is is there some sort of like raging viral thing going on right now? Including COVID-19. More accurately, the Wuhan virus. <laughs> I thought it was just the Wuhan virus. Well, you know, some people know it as COVID nineteen, so we have to, you know, we have to say both so they'll know what we're talking about. But it's two thousand twenty, so right. Any anything? I mean, you say one thing and it means another, right? So anyway, uh, just a little tease there. Um, we're gonna get Marcus on. I'm gonna let him talk more about this because that's getting uh, out of my weeds and. Uh, you know, not something that they normally do. So it's something you're going to put in your own body. So TVT whole additive for the old, uh, your old body there. So we'll get him on talk more about that. I thought that was interesting. So you, you let heads might want to know about that. Uh, and then of course, uh, 1776 United and factory 47, which we're missing James this episode. James has been joining us for the last few episodes. Uh, he didn't make it this episode. Have you guys heard from him? Is he is he planning on jumping on or? Yeah, I actually talked with him this morning, and he's jammed up with work. Okay. And uh, he was sad to not be able to make it. Um, but uh, sad yeah, he didn't was, make it. Yeah, I think I he would asking, enjoy this one too. I think he would. Yeah, yeah. I was actually talking this morning with him about uh, Parkerizing issues that I'm having with getting enough life out of it, and uh, he's he's quite the authority on all that, and uh, so he straightened me right out. So James was... is a low key like genius. If people don't know, he's like very very low key, but arguably also one of the smartest people that I know. hundred well, percent. He's, he's shown some guy. brains here on the show, so we. We're going to miss his big brain tonight with this this topic that we're going to cover with David. Um, and Factory 47, that's where you're going to get the AK-47 official apparel and swag there. We've got the shirts, the hoodies, the women's apparel, and we've got the uh, AK uh, corner tumblers there as well. So you guys go there and can get those. Got holidays coming up. Make great gifts, great stocking stuffers. I mean, who doesn't love good boy. a good boy? <laughs> who doesn't love a good boy, right? <laughs> if you don't, if you don't tell your children that you love them every opportunity that you have, you're fucking up and not a good parent. There you That's go. Awesome. 
There you go. Even in the middle of a podcast, I mean, it's that important. Uh, Tell him we love wife, him too, man. It, I'll tell you what. Um, anybody that feels like it can um, uh, DM me on the Instagram and, and wish my boy a happy seventh birthday on Saturday. That'd be awesome. I'll share that with him. That's cool. Awesome. So uh, LOP, the League of Pirates uh, on Instagram. On Oh, and by the way, I'm on Parlor, Parlay Parlor now. Yeah, Parlor. Welcome to the party. Yeah. yeah, welcome. Yeah, so uh, I haven't really made the official announcement yet, so you're hearing it here first, Leadheads, if you haven't already found me. I know a few of you found me on uh, Parlor already. So I haven't quite figured it out yet. Uh, so you guys are going to have to give me some tips on, on how to do the postings and stuff. So I don't really know how it works, but we'll figure you know, it out. We might consider doing a study group together on that and publishing our findings because – the, you know, the big tr problem with Parler is that it's not a drug. Um, they, I'm, that, I'm dead serious. Yeah, no, they, that, you know what, man? You just tapped on something that I was thinking about and talking to somebody else about uh, this afternoon. Uh, well, we should save that then because it's a whole thing and it'll you'll notice that you're on withdrawal symptoms when you're using it. You're, you're like, where's the big tits and flashing lights? Yeah, no, there's, it's like parlor was designed not to uh, provoke a dopamine response. Yep. yep, big time. Well, like I said, you guys will help me figure it out, and I'll get uh, proficient uh, with that. Uh, but another big news, and we're going to get Jared on. Jared was on our last episode at the very end, and we didn't get a real good chance to talk about it, but we're getting ready to kick off the Talking Lead Full 30 uh, promotion to celebrate Talking Lead joining the Full 30 Network coming up. That's going to kick off December the 1st, and it's going to end December the 24th, Christmas Eve. So five people are going to have a really spanking Christmas. It's going to be awesome. We've put together five EDC packages. We've got five firearms that are going to include everything from the firearm to the holster, to the ammo, to knives, to uh, toolkits, to cigars, to talking lead swag, mugs, flashlights, uh, you name it, these packages are going to be unreal. And uh, there might even be a suppressor included in one of those packages well, as well. So it's going to be really kick-ass. We're going to have a good time with this this giveaway uh, but we're going to get Jared on uh, next episode. We're going to do an official kickoff for that giveaway uh, and announcement for you guys. Because Thanksgiving's coming up, uh, by the way. Uh, most of you that are probably going to start listening to this, you're going to have a belly full of turkey and beer, I hope. <laughs> I hope everybody celebrates the way I do uh, with alcohol and turkey. It's the best, right? All the things. All the good things, all the good things. So make sure you go show all our sponsors some love and uh, let them know how much you appreciate them being a part of the show. And speaking of the show, let's kick off with our topic here. Let's, let's kick this Liberty Series in gear, baby. Keith likes everything about the great outdoors. He's a lot like us. Whether we're bow hunting in the backcountry or plinking in the backyard, we want to enjoy each experience to the fullest. Keltec's 22 caliber P17 is Heath's go-to pistol for a good time on the range, on the trail, and anywhere in between. 
Weighing in at only 14 ounces with a full magazine, its compact size makes it easy to conceal or tuck away in a small pack, pocket, or space. It comes out of the box ready with a fiber optic front sight, a threaded barrel, a Picatinny rail, and a price point for any budget. With three 16-round magazines, it's ready for hours of pure, unadulterated enjoyment. It's easy, it's affordable, it's accurate, and it's a damn sweet marvel of plinking innovation. The Keltec P17. It's more bang for less buck. We're ringing, and it looks like he's joined. You there, David? Uh, yeah, I am. Awesome. So David and Marty have have met. There you are. Um, I actually I think all you guys know David, but Marty, you may not remember him. It was the first taping I ever did with you on the Lost episode from Shot Show 2018 or whatever in uh, I think the Caltech booth. We did a quick um, a quick interview together before I even really knew you from Adam. I think Jaeger dro- drug me over and and was like, "Hey, you need to interview them." <laughs> Or something like that. Um, David, welcome in, man. Glad to have you. Thanks. It's cool to be on with you. Yeah, man. Glad you've been able to, uh, you know, continue the show and grow it and keep it going. Absolutely, man. This is uh, going into our ninth year, so I've been doing it for a minute. Really excited about it. I have a wacky, I have a wacky link to share too. If you, you know, if you do screen sharing or anything, I have a really wacky link that we found last spring that's informative for this. I can share it through Skype. And then you can okay. Let's go ahead and do that, so we'll have it. Yeah, that's great. You just pop it in through the Uh, chat there. Yeah, let me put it in the chat here. And then Um, it is actually real. That's what's weird about it. Oh, dude, I was just looking at this. Cool. Happy, happy tea, happy talism. Yeah, no, man. Like, dude, like. (laughs) It's the velvet glove, man. It's the velvet glove over the iron fist. And it's brutal as you read through it. We went through this on air on our show back in March or so when uh, when the uh, the pandemic began. Happy Talism. So. That's I, I have I, I have an real. interesting side note related to that. So like I, I found this like two days ago. <laughs> no, it, I, I, I'm having like David. You'll find out, or you know, um, Brian's probably already told you like. Uh, uh, this like normalcy bias isn't really my thing, right? So like paying attention to like this weird retarded shit is kind of like my zone. But like I'm I'm having like a fucking aneurysm wrapping my head around this because like it's really a fucking like like blowing my mind because every time I think I have something figured out, I'm like, nah, man, you're lost. And then, so then I go, I, I go a little bit deeper into it. And, and this is not like one of these retarded rabbit holes. This is all verifiable. And it's even worse than it being verifiable is that. Should we talk not, about this? And, and it's not even this? hidden. Yeah. I'm going to send, I'm going to send one more link for you to queue what? up. Uh, that is required viewing for everyone. 100% of the people who are going to listen to this need to view that documentary. Um, it's really good. Uh, you guys you guys know about normalization? We'll talk yeah. about normalization. Great. No, and I, I do not. Uh, so, um, yeah, w- you know, starting with picking back up with, 
you guys discussing the layers and the confusion is actually kind of a really great place to begin in some sense because the um the yeah the layers of it are real and um i've been trying to figure out how to dumb it way down or simplify it way down um and uh what's this uh hyper normalization okay hyper normalization is the name of the documentary all of Adam Curtis's stuff is amazing. He did a series called Pandora's Box where he talks about the intended and then the unintended consequences. Let's, of, let's, start, let's start and then yeah, we'll talk about it. that. Yeah, That way you don't have to repeat sure. it. Yep. All right, so now we're getting to the uh, juicy part of the show, and uh, we're going to talk about this, this, uh, this thing called the Great Reset that a lot of you have probably heard about. In the news lately, the the left, the liberals are denying that it exists, that it's a made-up thing by uh, the conservatives, the right. Uh, but then you can Google it, you can find it. It's been around for years, uh, and there's podcasts out there, there's books about it. Uh, it exists. It's real. And to help us uh, understand what it is and explain this whole Great Reset uh, movement. I don't know what you call it. Uh, we've got uh, David joining us now. So uh, Brian did a great intro for you a little bit earlier, David, but if you would just kind of give us a, a self intro there, would you? Yeah, sure. Um, so I've been, let's see, my, my sort of uh, larger questioning of the status quo began probably around 2007. When I was trying to figure out who to vote for back when I did that, and um, there's this really wacky, you know, old guy you might have heard of, Ron Paul, yeah. and he had this really super bizarre idea that that uh, war wasn't necessary and that it was in fact harmful to the U.S. Um, and that it was costing lives and jobs and prosperity, and. Uh, and I was like, why have I, I've never heard that before. And so I started digging into that. And he sort of was my segue into libertarianism, voluntarism, um, the whole idea that like a society, the, the definition of prosperity is peaceful exchange between people. That's what prosperity is. And um, so anything, any uh, uh, non-peaceful exchange is is a detriment to prosperity whether that's theft um in in like a, a burglary sense or whether that's theft as in like a taxation sense um so anyway he started me down this this whole thing and then of course one of ron paul's deals was the federal reserve and what money is and if you go down that uh, rabbit hole it's like in a month or two you realize that the whole money system is a scam basically um and so, you know, and then all these other things come out from that. And then you put it in historical context and you realize that actually nothing is new either. This has all happened before. Like debasement of currency is is just how empires rise and fall. Mm -hmm. um, so that was sort of the beginning right. of that for me. And then around that time in, in 07, 08, a couple friends of mine who I met through like Ron Paul meetups, we started reading all these authors that he recommended, including this guy, uh, Murray Rothbard. And uh, Murray Rothbard's the real deal. And um, he outlines a framework for a stateless society, which kind of already exists. Uh, most of your life is lived outside of the domain of the state. Um, 
And uh, anyway, he has this book for A New Liberty. We read that. We read Ludwig von Mises, all these other guys. And we started a group where we would meet um, and discuss these ideas and, and their validity and their ultimate implications. And through that group, I met a friend of mine, um, Josh, uh, Josh Bennett, and he had met a guy who runs a radio station in town and bought some airtime on the radio station. And so we kicked off a uh, local radio show in Fairbanks, Alaska called Patriots Lament. It's been running since like 2009 now, I think. So you're in Alaska? And, well, I was in Alaska. I moved to Canada in 2012. I go back and forth now. I'm in Idaho right now. Uh, my wife and I put 26,000 miles on on the road this year. Oh, nice. Uh, you need some so, TBT yeah. engine oil additive. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. It's one of my sponsors. Is that a, is that a sponsor? Okay, there you, <laughs> Good there you plug. go. Yeah, we Good do. Plug. Absolutely. Um, I'll send you so, some. So anyway, we've been, been kind of all around, but we've been doing that show. He's been, you know, the, the core of that show for like 11 years. And through nice. that show, we've been, we've had all sorts of great guests on, um, met a bunch of people. We've had Ron Paul on as a guest. Uh, Daniel McAdams, uh, Jeff Dice from the Mises Institute, Jeff Berwick from the Dollar Vigilante. Oh, wow, man. Um, so it's been neat. Names, and, and we've been engaged with the community that way. So that's sort of my background on, on this stuff. Now, is that, is that what you do full-time now is the, the radio show? Um, no, my full-time job, I make... Uh, the primary thing I do right now is manufacture meters that measure uh, electromagnetic radiation from... Uh, power lines, cell phones, uh, Bluetooth, like electromagnetic waste, and uh, and give people tools to quantify that that are cost effective and easy to use. And then my company, uh, we have a, a researcher in my company who's doing medical surveys of existing research and correlating health effects with this stuff. Um, we're, of course, following 5G, and there's a whole bunch of neurological mechanisms by which all of these things cause chronic illness in people. Um, not entirely different from the way that, like, the Marisol, uh, a lot of people think the Marisol causes long-term damage via embedded mercury in your... Mm. Uh, so that's my, my primary job right now is manufacturing and, and, uh, and selling these meters. So can you absolutely tell us that the 5G has not caused the COVID? <laughs> Um, so we actually did a video of that. It's on our YouTube channel. Did you really? Um, <laughs> yep. Just, so if you kidding. go to, if you go to YouTube and you look for nine CI or better yet, go to BitChute and look for nine CI, uh, that video is on BitChute. People should stop using YouTube if they can. Um, yes. but we, we did a video on that. Amen. So the, the way that, uh, the way the electromagnetic radiation affects a cell is through a thing called a voltage gated calcium channel. Um, and there's a researcher. He's actually in Pullman, Washington, right, right near where Brian is. He's done all the research to show how very small, uh, low levels of EMAG radiation will cause voltage-gated calcium channels to do all sorts of wacky stuff, which lets stuff in and out of cells uncontrollably. So you get every imaginable symptom of every imaginable sickness um, because you're messing with the door to the cell. Um, so it is, you know, does 5G make people sick? It, it depends. It's hard to say because electromagnetic right. radiation in our environment causes all sorts of wacky stuff. It opens that our does, cells' doors. It, that's that's the first time I've heard that. That's interesting. So yep, via it, VGCCs. Yep. Just just so this, because um, a lot of people, you know, there there's people on both sides of the aisle with this, with people thinking that those folks are crazy. Would you mind telling a short story about our mutual friend with the genital issue? 
<laughs> oh, no. oh yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. So no, my uh, the way I got into this was um, uh, my the guy who I worked on this stuff on forever, Bruce. He had uh, he had testicular cancer, and um, and he recovered from that. But whenever he was in large cities and like urban environments, he would just get the worst ache basically in his balls. And, um, and he could not figure out what was going on. And he just generally felt sick. And uh, he, was a, he was like the youngest ham radio operator in Ontario ever. Like back in the day, he was like nine when he got his ham license. He's been doing this stuff forever. Cool. Um, a, friend of his, a friend of his, when he was in Calgary, when he was real sick, gave him a meter and said, you know, you should, I got, I cleaned up my environment. Here's a meter. You should clean up yours and just see how you feel. And as soon as he got rid of the microwave radiation in his environment, just like shutting off the Wi-Fi at night, uh, putting up some shielding fabric to block uh, neighbors, stuff that was coming through the walls where he was living, uh, he felt way, way, way better. And, um, He's like, ah, oh, that's crazy because this is a conspiracy theory. Like everybody knows that electromagnetic radiation doesn't cause you to get sick, and so he he tested all sorts of stuff on himself. He had people double blind test him, um, like bring transmitters in his area uh, without telling him, and uh, and he would just start feeling sick, and he'd go, you know, is your cell phone on, or you know, do you have a Bluetooth device on? And I'd be like, yep, I do, and and then they'd shut it off, and he'd feel better. So he's like so, really hypersensitive to the. The yeah, waves. he is, and he thinks it's because he had so much exposure as a kid. The um, the medical the theory for um, symptomatic effects is that they're cumulative. Again, like mm. the thimerosal thing, and so the more you're exposed, the more sensitive you get to it. Um, there's another it makes sense in his case, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. So anyway, so that's something we work on. Uh, that's my core. Um, source of income right now it's nice to do a whole other show just on that That, that's very interesting man yeah Yeah, for sure yeah very interesting well very cool so uh let's get into this uh this great reset and uh i mean let's let's i guess we should start with kind of the basics and for our listeners maybe that aren't aware of it or don't know what it is what what is this great reset that we've been hearing about in the media yeah the great reset um, reset. Yeah. The Great Reset. So there's a bunch of background for that. Um, the Great Reset, in summary, is the conversion of um, economic systems that are largely voluntary or used to be largely voluntary into economic systems and social systems that are centrally controlled. That's basically what the Great Reset is. There's a bunch of different icing you can put on the cake, but that's the turd cake that you have. It's voluntary interaction now, and then after the Great Reset, everything is um, everything is involuntary or compulsory. And it's being disguised with a velvet glove of, um, of inclusion and, um, you know, and equanimity and all of these things. But, but in short, that's what it is. So any voluntary, any voluntary interaction you have right now, uh, which involves the exchange of money for something you want and, or the exchange of goods for each other, um, 
all of that would be regulated, which is to say it would become to some extent involuntary. That's in that, are we talking about government intervention here or are we talking about corporate intervention? Uh, the the line will become so blurred that you won't be able to tell the difference. And so it basically is uh, right now what's going on is the largest, most uh, interconnected corporate institutions and the state are essentially indistinguishable from each other. Um, and that ship has already sailed. That sailed a while ago. Yeah. So we're living in a we're living in what's called a technocracy. And this is what happened in the Soviet Union in in the Soviet Union. Um, it happened differently in America, but it's already happened. It's not the future. It's already right now. Um, in the Soviet Union, what happened was there was the Bolshevik Revolution in 1917. But before that, there was about two or three decades where the revolutionaries were agitating. Um, and that's what, that's what made uh, popular sentiment strong enough for the revolution to take place with a very small percentage of revolutionaries actually enacting it. The revolution happens. And the future that's promised to everyone is a future of um, prosperity and equality for all. Well, the pathway to that was uh, technology as salvation, basically. In a very short period of time after the revolution, um, the, the drive was to figure out how to use technologies to manipulate the world to solve problems of hunger and poverty and all these things. Well, what happens in a world where technology becomes your god. The high priests of technology are the technologists, so the engineers and the scientists. Mm -hmm. And so that's what happened in the Soviet Union, and these became the technocrats. And um, mind you, during this window where the technocrats became important, all of the revolutionaries were killed because they were a threat to the power structure. Mm -hmm. uh, so for the folks who think they're going to be like part of the revolution, um, the leaders you appoint are going to slaughter you. That's just the way this goes. Uh, same story. In, yeah, it happened in Rome too. If you read about uh, the rise of uh, it Caesar in Augustus, Germany too. Sure, it's it's an old story. <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh. So the technocrats end up running the society, and um, and so you get instead of this, instead of this society of equality, you just get a different stratification, and we already have that. Uh, the United States is already run by a technocratic surveillance state uh, based in Silicon Valley, largely, and then in a few cities on the East Coast. Uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts is one of them, um, a, a few other places like that. It, the ship has already sailed. And this is a result of, uh, in my view, it's a result of the materialism of the 20th century. If you live in a materialist society, then the highest power that you have is the power to manipulate matter and that's what technology does and so anyway so, so that's where we are so the technocrats are in charge of everything and and the technocrats believe this is true in the soviet union as well that they know what you should want and how you should acquire it better than you do and so um and they're smarter than you Kind of sounds like like in in our country now with the social media and the internet. Even before you even go to search something, it's already telling you what what it thinks you're you're looking for and what you right. should go or, look or, for. Or, or or similar to like your um, Amazon um, yeah. uh, shopping algorithm. Yeah, yeah, 
you know, in, in, you know, in super simplistic terms, you know, they, these are the recommended products based upon your consumer habits. We can tell that your dwell time over these products means that you may have a future interest in them mm -hmm. and in your digital persona that they have captured and they're creating your, your, your digital clone that lives on a server somewhere. Um, they can do predictive uh, programming. Uh, it might be the right word. Um, on on future behavior. Yeah, and there's a there's a tail wagging the dog uh, scenario there too, where um, it starts with this is one of the techniques of of hypnosis actually. If if any of your listeners or any of you know about neurolinguistic programming, um, it's one of the ways that you it's one of the ways that you strongly influence behavior in others. You start with uh, asking questions, and then you mirror. So you mirror back the answers that you were hearing and then you lead and you do it really slowly. And by the time you get to leading the person that you're just you, that you're discussing whatever with or talking to, they don't even realize that you've gone from asking them what they would like to do to telling them what they should like to do. And so in a therapy environment, that's really helpful because you can get people out of PTSD and out of addictive behaviors, but you can use that same technology um, it's yeah. that same psychological technology. Yeah. So anyway, that's what's that's it's like what's anything, being, you know, anything that could be used for good can also be used for bad. Yep, that's right. Yeah. It's a tool. Yeah. And so it's a tool. Uh, these technocrats, David, uh, I've been in an effort to catch up as quickly as possible. I've been listening from the horse's mouth to the Great Reset podcast, which distills down the talks that these guys are having. And uh, I love that the New York Times calls it a conspiracy because I listened to uh, the Prince of Wales, the president of Microsoft, the CEO of MasterCard, uh, John Kerry, um, and a couple other guys all telling us what we want. And um, these, so these are the technocrats are, I'm correct in interpreting this, right? That these are the people we are talking about and they are in massive positions of power you know this is not an abstract threat this is mastercard telling us how we should do business uh, yeah that's right and uh you can throw in you can throw in useful idiots in there like you have your your zuckerbergs and your sergey brins of the world and um they're very intelligent people uh, but they don't have a philosophical upbringing and um, and they have they believe that they believe that their desire for your life is better than anything you could come up with because they're smarter than you. Another mm -hmm. prime example is the uh, address to the UN that the Justin Trudeau did uh, not too long ago there when he. Uh, basically said pandemic provided the opportunity for a reset this is our chance to accelerate our pre-pandemic efforts uh, reimagine economic systems that address global challenges um, like extreme poverty inequity and climate change right yes that's right and so none of those so we can take a let's take like a three minute um, historical um, detour here. So those things that Trudeau outlined are exactly uh, what have been described for, I don't know, for decades now by uh, the folks who would like to do this. Um, 
But do you guys know about the Georgia Guidestones, or have you ever talked about those? Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, I'm unaware. Yeah, lay it on. Okay. It would be worth your listeners looking up the Georgia Guidestones. Okay. Um, this is another kind of conspiracy theory thing, but not really. Like, there yeah, was, not really. Yeah. There was this uh, monument that was erected in a like a farmer's field in Georgia, and it has these Guidestones for um, uh, humanity's sustainable existence on planet Earth. And uh, let's read off what they say. So these are like, you could think of like Stonehenge with a secular Ten Commandments carved on it. Maintain humanity under 500 million in perpetual balance with nature. God reproduction wisely. Hey, let's stop there for a second. Yeah. And, And let's reflect back on how many people are actually on the planet currently. Not more than that. Yeah, right. How how many how many people are roughly on the planet right now? Seven billion is it? Seven, that seven right? or eight billion? Yeah, right. Okay, okay, and, and and how many more people is is um, is that than what they have written on the guidestone? Hmm. Six and six point three. Okay, that's a lot of people that aren't in the big plan. And that's yep. and that's how and that's how you get to their sustainability. That's what COVID's taken care of, right? Um, <laughs> well, um, not really. yeah, maybe not directly. Yeah, it was supposed uh, to. Yeah. Well, maybe so through uh, hopelessness and and suicide and things like that. If this went on for a decade, I think you'd get real close to that number. Actually, mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of people are anyway. A lot of people are starting to to break. So that's the first one on these guidestones. I, I think there's a 200% increase in um, uh, self-harm and uh, suicide right now. I think that I think that's the current statistic. Yeah. So jump jump through those other. Uh, those so that other was the first one. Maintain nine. humanity under 500 million. Number two was guide reproduction wisely, improving fitness and diversity. Okay, Sounds so that's a good one. Genetics, right? Yeah, who's <laughs> Whose criteria, right? Whose criteria for that? So they don't they don't go into detail on this, right? This exactly. Is, this is exactly how it's worded. The way I'm reading it, right? Yep, exactly. I'm I'm just okay. I'm number three is on. unite humanity with a living new language. So one one world language. Is that what, the way I understand that? So everybody speaks yeah, I, German or. Spanish or whatever. Not necessarily. That's not necessarily true. We, um, it's not necessarily. Um, uh, it, 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 um, this is interpretive, so bear with me. Sure. The universal language does not necessarily have to be linguistic. The universal language could be something like math. Could be science. Could it be? Could it be mental as well? It could. It could be something like the You're talking about um, the technocrats, and you, you've heard about Elon Musk talking about you know how we're going to evolve to where you know they're going to have implants in our brains, and we're going to be able to communicate that way. Uh, could it could be you know the we've experienced a modification of language just in the last three or four years right now, um, regardless of what the you know per- particular dialect is, and uh, so like there are words you can't say anymore. And there are words that if you do say them, they don't have the meaning that they used to. And so, you know, in general, it's a modification of language 
which, um, of course, language is, uh, it's hard to say if we shape language or if language shapes us. So it's one of the key tools for shaping the way people think. If you don't have a word to describe a thing that you're trying to describe, then you won't be able to, um, it's the fundamental technology of creativity, basically. You won't be able to to work with others and to expand your ideas if the language is is controlled. Anyway, yeah. Um, keep, number keep four going. is rule passion, faith, tradition, and all things with tempered reason. What's that saying to us? Uh, yeah, who gets who decides what tempered reason is? I mean, that's a question to ask yourself. Who decides? Rule. So the first one is rule, passion, faith, tradition, and all things with tempered reason. And who's going to do the ruling? Who's going to do the ruling? Who's going to decide what tempered means? Yeah. Right. Number five is protect people and nations with fair laws and just courts. Who decides what's fair and just? Mm-hmm. Number six is let all nations rule internally resolving external disputes in a world court. Okay. Sort of a federalism of sorts with a one-world government, right? Mm-hmm. I like the yep. UN. Avoid yep. petty laws and useless officials. <laughs> Avoid petty laws and useless officials. Which, while ruling, while ruling and uniting globally, <laughs> uh, eight is balance personal rights with social duties. We're getting Ooh, to so experience that, that this year. Yeah, Twitter had a whole big uh, conversation during one of their TED talks all about about uh, how it's their responsibility to uh, cultivate. Uh, corporate responsibility in a manner that uh, is the most socially responsible. Nine is prize truth, beauty, love, seeking harmony with the infinite. That sounds like some shroom eating <laughs> acid dropping uh, language there. I don't explain that one to me. Uh, uh, a lot of utopian modifiers there. Mm -hmm. Right. I think uh, John Lennon may have wrote these. <laughs> Number 10, be not a cancer on the earth. Leave room for nature. Leave room for nature. They say that twice. Yeah. kind of sounds Which like the, the movement that they're trying to do, you know, with the global warming and try to go... Um, Clean energy. I think, I think that's. Uh, you know, there there was a group of people in Germany during the '30s who used to talk about naturalism a lot. Just saying. Yeah. 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 Well, just saying. The all those things are. So those those guides don't just kind of showed up out of nowhere. No one's exactly sure who made them, but they've been around for a while now, a um, few decades, and. It's basically this. That's basically the Great Reset agenda. There, it's it's been put in front of everyone for a very long time. Um, the other historical tidbit would be: uh, Do you guys know about Agenda Twenty One? Have you ever heard of that before? Indeed. 
it, the UN agenda for the 21st century. Um, yeah, so Marie Strong and the and the Rio Earth Summit is something that people could look into. Marie Strong, um, he was sort of the the real driving force behind a lot of this. Um, Agenda 21 was the first time the United Nations put together a uh, sustainability agenda for the planet. And they determined with no, um, you know, scientific method at all uh, what that meant. And it basically means something akin to the, to the Guidestones. Reduce population, um, decide what lines of work and what activities are, are um, necessary and which ones aren't which we've gotten a nice taste of this year, right? What does it mean when you're deemed not essential? Your job, your existence is non-essential. Gotten a taste of that. Um, Ideas such as universal basic income were contained in Agenda 21. And and this is is old stuff. This is from the 80s and 90s. So nothing that's going on right now, today, is new. Um, And there's been a roadmap that people have been following in, in particular, a, a particular type of globalist for 25 years or so. So I think it's important to recognize that none of this is new. And even more than that, it's important to recognize this is done before, uh, essentially with the Soviet Union and the Bolshevik Revolution. So that is, in short, that's what I would say, you know, the Great Reset is about. It's about bringing about um, a form of, of uh, utopia via um, a a global a global utopia yeah yeah exactly a global utopia via a a technically managed um, technically managed structure where um, generally you aren't smart enough to make decisions for yourself so they'll be made for you um but you'll be better off because of that. And I think the folks who really believe in this actually do think that you will be better off and do think that you don't know what's good for you. So kind of sounds like uh, the movie Logan's Run. Did you ever watch that? Yep, it's exactly like that. You got yeah, it. Yeah, it reminds it. me of that old movie. Was that is that the early 80s or, or late 70s? It was the 70s, man. Late 70s, right? Yeah. It's a good movie. Um, so who's behind this uh, this great reset? Who's involved with with pushing this? So there are uh, there's the there's the UN and the Agenda Twenty One folks, you know, and that's been that's been going on for a long time. So that's your your Murray Strong's. He's passed away now, but your Kissingers, uh, your Henry Kissinger, your your um, Rockefellers, uh, these folks. What about this um, Klaus Schwab guy? Yeah, with the World Economic Forum. Yeah, he seems to be um, kind of a big, uh, a big proponent of it now. I mean, this guy's been around. I mean, since Hitler, <laughs> he's from he's from Germany, but I don't think he's associated with the Nazis. Yeah, not no, probably not. Um, yeah. So one thing that's interesting to ask about. So the World Economic Forum is is an interesting one to talk about. So is the World Health Organization. Um, the UN, yeah. yeah. So the WHO and the World Economic Forum in particular are viewed as these, um, uh, as these sort of institutions from which wisdom and knowledge flows. 
and um, and whole entire governments will take advice from them. But what are they essentially? They're essentially a little private club. That's all they are. Some people get together who uh, who have you know means. Usually, it's usually folks with money and power, and um, they get together. They make an organization that has some name. And then they go and rub shoulders with the right people, and they become hyper influential, uh, without ever gaining their credibility through uh, exactly. through interaction with anyone. With no, so it's important. No forms of credibility whatsoever. Just For sure. money, money, and there's who they know. No, there, there's no measurable performance out of any of their efforts. Yeah, and and title as well. And so they, you know, they dress yeah. up the right way, and then and then folks. Because you got sort the of, Prince of Wales, you know, you throw these titles in there, and it makes it sound very uh, legit, kind of thing. Sure. Yep. So so Klaus Schwab, Klaus Schwab is a member of you could call it a uh, a um, very self important book group, you know, <laughs> book club. <laughs> and he started out early in his career in the Bilderberg discussions right like it'd be interesting to know who brought him into that and uh i'm fairly ignorant of bilderberg but would you mind giving us a um you know i've heard alex jones ranting about it or somebody like him um it it my rough understanding is that it's a secret economic meeting where um nobody says what anybody said um but people go away with the the ideas and it's a bunch of elites that get together and like you said have a have an expensive book club um but it, it was interesting to see that parentage there and then also a whole bunch of board seats and the only other thing that i found really interesting was nowhere could i find an estimate of his net wealth um oh, and yeah, for sure yeah um what what other you know, would you speak to Bilderberg and, and your view of it, or is it just one of another club like Davos and the rest? I So it's another club, and the, I, I could get really into all of that, but in my own life, I've been trying to get away from all of that because there's a saying, and, and I'll, I'll explain why it's important to know about that stuff and then why I think it's important to move through it quickly. Um, there's a saying, uh, what is the one thing a politician cannot live without do you guys know the answer themselves uh it's even better than that <laughs> what is it i would i would say attention but uh, your attention your yeah. attention okay right your attention the more attention you pay to um self-appointed elitists who have a uh an overpriced book group that you can't afford to get into the more importance they have sure and yep. so um it's like, um, anyway, I, and I don't think the particular characters are that important either. I think they are, uh, I think they're avatars, okay? And so it's important to know that they're there, and it's important to know that there right. are people meeting right. and discussing things like this. And it's important to know that these are actually, um, the history of the world, the history of the, of the material side of the world is a history of uh, power and money and corruption and murder and deceit, uh, and that's theft. It's not any different now. Like I hate hate to break it to you guys. Um, <laughs> so it's important to recognize that the era we live in is not different than that. Again, a, a really, it's really interesting to read the story of how 
Julius Caesar and Caesar Augustus came to power. And we're coming up on Christmas. That folds right into the story of, of Christ coming to earth as well. Mm. And, and the way those two stories fold together is the solution to the fear and oppression that's being uh, pushed down on us. It is the answer to that. That's why Christmas is a really big deal is because it is actual freedom from unimaginable oppression. Um, but anyway, it's this, the same thing is going on right now. So, uh, and indeed, Rome had a republic under uh, Julius Caesar, but they had an empire under Caesar Augustus, under Octavius. And the way that happened, I'll, I'll leave that to another, another time. But anyway, they'd gone from being a very free and, and um, liberal in the, in the, in the uh, rights and freedom sense to being an empire. And um, they'd already made the transition that the United States is in right now, that the United States is going through. And then Christ shows up right at the most oppressive or right at the leading edge of the most oppressive part of the empire. And, and the Christ story fits into this hopeless uh, world of, of uh, imperial control and oppression. And I, I think that's um, uh, one of the big ways that that we as individuals and then and then we as as a society and as a world will will actually uh, find our way through this and, and prevail because we have one thing going for us uh, which is that um, if you believe if you believe that the truth is true if you believe that the truth actually is true then there is no way that a world can be built on deceit and lies that is stronger than a world that can be built on truth it can yeah. only last for a while I'm, I'm reminded of our mutual friend who I'll call Battery Jesus, uh, who had this amazing ability to ghost his way through very difficult legal circumstances with authority figures because he truly believed that they were under the delusion that they were in control, and that was not reality. And what you're saying kind of dovetails in with that, that um, you're sort of as free as you believe you are. Um, and then yes. when somebody tries to stop you, you kind of, the rubber hits the road. Um, and does that make sense to you? Yeah, it's even, there's a way to even continue to win through that. And that's where, so we want to talk about what do Great Reset folks say? What does it really mean? And what should we do? So I feel, I feel like we've covered what the Great Reset is about. Sure. Um, which, is, which is shifting the locus of control from your life and your decision making to one that's made elsewhere for you. Um, what they say is that it'll be this utopic thing, but they also say they're going to kill 90% of the planet. Anyway, so what it means is loss of control um, in the ways that we think control is important. So then what should we do? So um, there, yes, I agree. We, uh, the, the areas where we focus attention are the areas where, where reality is manifested you could say. Reality can't manifest where you haven't focused your attention. Um, it, it's, anyway, won't get too far into that. So I think for folks who want to move through a world that appears to be very controlled, um, awareness of the, of the attempt to control is important. But to the extent that it paralyzes you without, before the, the iron fist even shows up, it's already won. It only works to the extent that you stop doing what you feel you should do. 
Which um, is what they're, uh, they're using COVID for right now. Yes, and now, so an interesting, exa- an interesting example, exactly, exactly along those lines. Most governors in most states do not have legal authority to enforce anything, absolutely anything that they have told you is mandated. The legal language doesn't hold up if if people are uh, if people are dedicated enough to read their state constitution, they will find that even the emergency powers mandates don't let governors do what they say they are doing right now. Yeah. So I'll give you an example. In Alaska, uh, the um, the governor there. I'm going to refrain from saying anything disparaging. The governor there. Uh, passed a mandate that all people flying in from outside the state had to uh, either get COVID tested or self-isolate, okay? Now, uh, the governor does not have the legal authority to do that. Under the Health Powers Act, which is in the state constitution, the only thing the governor is allowed to do is to, um, through the court system, issue requests for individuals to respond to... um, certain health recommendations that's that's all he can do and it can only be done on an individual level okay so we did we discovered this and um and so when i was flying back to the state for example i'd fly into the airport there's all these you know banisters that are pulled out that tell you oh walk this way and then let me just give you the full story before you board the plane in seattle the airline staff say you have to fill out this form and turn it in while you're on the plane they say make sure you have your form it's filled out and turned in you land, they say, before you disembark the plane, make sure you have your form that's filled out because you're going to have to turn it in. And then you walk through security, you get into the airport right before the baggage claim, and there's all these banisters, and there's all these really helpful folks who are like, hey, go over to that table, and they'll take your form. Uh-huh. And so I go over to the table, and the girl's like, where's your form? I said, um, yeah, like I don't have one. And she's like, oh, you got to fill out a form. I said, well, what happens if you don't? Like, what's the worst thing that can happen? What's the fine or whatever? Yeah. She's like, well, you have to fill out the form. <laughs> well, what? And I was like, I was like, well, what? well, what's the worst thing? And she's like, well, there's a governor mandate. And I said, I, 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 I said, okay, that. I get, I said, I said, just no, no thanks today. Like maybe another day, but not today. And I just walked by and that was it. That was all it was. Yeah. So here's the way, here's the way it worked. Okay. Ready for this? This is great because you get to put the chains on yourself. The governor doesn't have the power to enforce any of this. But if you fill out the form and sign it, you are entering into a legal agreement with the state not to lie. If you fill out a form and sign it and you tell the state that you are going to self-isolate for 14 days and you don't, you have you have uh, legally lied to the state. Legally. Yeah. You've hey, entered you into an agreement. Right? That, that's right. That's right. So, um, so... What is, what is the act of resistance? The act of resistance is simply not filling out the form. You just don't fill out the form and you walk through. This is true in virtually every single state. And so all of these mandates are essentially toothless. And in most states, they're not enforced by the cops. And so this does not require marching. It doesn't require uh, rioting. It doesn't require anything. It just requires being aware that there's actually no power to enforce it. And most cops actually, most cops in most places are not enforcing this stuff because they know it's retarded. And they know that if they, if they enforce something that's unconstitutional and they do something to violate your rights in the process, they're on the line too. Um, and so that, so to navigate through this, you have to not be, you have to not be afraid of it first. 
And then you have to be willing to do things that are going to be socially unacceptable, but are totally legally uh, legally fine. Yeah. Um, if you say socially, socially unacceptable, that's people shaming you into, into wearing a mask or uh, distancing yourself or not going to certain places. You have to be willing to be comfortable not being a portion of the herd and not allowing yourself to be eaten by the wolf. Yeah, that's a way to that's a way to put it. I think it's important to temper that with being a um I think the most important thing right now is to be a positive impact in your community. I think it's more important right now to be a positive impact in your community than it is to be um, the grouchy guy who goes around telling people they're idiots for wearing masks. And I think that if you are, um, if you are acting as a positive force in your community and you're respecting the desires of other people in areas where it's appropriate for, for them to set the, the rules or whatever, um, I think that sends a stronger message about the entire situation. If you move, uh, I'll, I'll give an example. Um, I have a property in Canada. Actually, I have dual citizenship. And I went back there with my wife for three weeks. And the folks at the church uh, that we go to have mostly been hunkering down. They're, they're really afraid of the situation. The messaging in Canada is just off the chain fear. And not universally, like Alberta, Northern BC, stuff's groovy. But you get to Ontario, it's just insane. Mm-hmm. Um, so they had mostly been, you know, following rules and and staying afraid like they were supposed to. And um, there's a couple that my wife and I have been working with who just recovered from being alcohol alcoholics, uh, and we let them rent our place for a bunch of reasons uh, to kind of help them out. And then I have another friend who just recovered from the program and and just got into a recovery program, and he'd moved into an apartment. And all three of them had relapsed over the summer. They'd all gone back to drinking at one point. And my buddy who was in the apartment, man, he was on the knife edge of killing himself. Like he was very suicidal. Mm. And so uh, so I went to the church and it's like, hey, like I've been gone all summer. You know, what are you guys doing? Why are you not engaged in the lives of people who absolutely need you to survive right now? They don't have a place where they can curl up in a ball and be safe. Uh, they're going to go back to drinking or drugs, or they're going to jump off Commit the 17th floor of their apartment yeah. building. What are you guys doing disengaging with them? It's way more important than than getting sick. And um, and the, the church responded super positively, but they weren't thinking about engagement with their community because all the messaging they're getting nonstop from the television, which you've got to turn off the television. Turn it off. There's nothing useful on it, not even 1%. But all the messaging they were getting was, you need to be afraid about yourself. You need to be afraid about yourself. You need to be afraid about yourself. And so their scope of, uh, of thinking had gone from community to, uh, to safety. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the fact of the matter is if we don't stay engaged personally, if we as individuals do not stay personally engaged with our, our immediate community, uh, there will be no safety for anyone. Um, those so, who can make you believe absurdities can make you commit atrocities. For sure, for sure, through the best intentions too. Yeah. Um, but to the degree that we are woven into the fabric of our communities, um, none of that's possible. 
and and even the fear like if you sit in front of your tv and watch the news for two hours you're going to be super duper afraid but then you go to talk to somebody um even somebody you don't know that well and you go well you know do either of us actually know anybody who's gotten really sick maybe you know one or two people but it's like is this any different than a year ago you know maybe you know i had a friend my grandpa died of pneumonia from the flu okay mm-hmm. um and you know and i knew him pretty well i don't there's one person who's uh, sort of a distant relative of mine who died of pneumonia from the flu this year as well yeah i've mentioned this to uh, to a lot of people and i don't i know one person now who is one degree of separation from me that has had covid and they recovered within you know a day or two and it was like this was like they had the flu right you know i still so if you're yeah i but until then, I didn't know anybody that was closer than at least three degrees. You know, I heard somebody say somebody had it. And so th- if you're it's been engaged, going on since March, you know. Yeah, it's like a year almost. Yeah, and I know a lot um, of people. <laughs> I know a lot right? of people worldwide. Yeah. If you're engaged in your community, then you get to check. You get to say, the reality that I'm experiencing is not the reality that's being presented to me. Am I crazy? And you get to check in with somebody else who you actually know, and they get to tell you the same thing. And then you get to say, "Hey, we're not crazy. Let's turn let's turn this awful flashing screen off. Yeah. Let's stop paying attention to it." Another so quote that fits in good here is, uh, "The interest I have in believing a thing is not proof of the existence of that thing." Yeah, you know, and I think that's that, really good. Yeah, I think that that plays in a big part here. But a lot of people believe that thing. And they believe that it's real, even not having actual proof. They're just going on what other people are saying and what they're being fed by the media. That's well, right. And, and what David's proposing here is actually a really good intelligence system for what you should be doing as an individual about COVID. Because there's a strain that just popped up in Australia of COVID that looks like it's nastier. And being the way that that COVID works, it can change very rapidly. And usually that means something bad for the virus and good for us. You know, there's that expression, most of the time when you hear hooves, it's horses. Every now and then it's a fucking zebra. And um, so in being connected in your community, you're getting the up-to-the-date information on what your local strain is doing. And this thing, you know, May we all pray that this thing keeps mutating into a way that's weaker and weaker. David's philosophy here gives you both things. Turning off the TV and turning on your relationships, it turns off the panic and it turns on local intelligence and information about what other people are experiencing. And so you get you get a twofer with what David's proposing. Well, I, yeah. I, I would actually um, mention that it actually gives you a, a third a third at least at least one more benefit we um we, we talk a lot about community building uh for our local security systems um as citizens not not necessarily in that respect but but we talk about uh, building community in our neighborhoods and and uh the the cl- um, uh, I'm trying to speak to the point that David made earlier, mm-hmm. um, and also to the points about the dehumanizing behaviors 
that are uh, being unraveled on the culture and the society as a whole by forcing people to isolate mm-hmm. and uh, turn more towards technology um, in their homes is what I'm referring to um, with our w- with our Zoom interactions and our um, uh, online gaming systems. So that if you pull back away from those things as your social interactions and have more face-to-faces, you're building relationships with actual real meat people, right? Like meat. Those connections are the resistance to these social engineering programs that this great reset is trying to overpower. And the stronger your community, your local community is, the greater your resistance to the effects of these um, social manipulations will be. And then, of course, there's always the security element because, you know, that's that's what we do at Big Pirates, um, which never hurts. But... Um, but to speak on that just real quick, this isn't the type of thing that you're going to be able to shoot your fucking way out of traditionally at this point, but I'm not, I'm not getting into that right now. Very good. Um, so David, uh, building from what you just said last, um, where do we go from there? Um, there is a, uh, there's a story from the Old Testament that I think is super relevant. And then there's a little book um, that that I would recommend as well. Um, and there's other stuff we didn't get to, but that's fine. So the story of Nebuchadnezzar and, uh, and Daniel I think is really interesting. There's two really interesting, there's two very interesting stories that come out of that, in fact. So... Um, uh, the, the Babylonians had basically enslaved the, the, uh, Israelites. That's your background. And, uh, and this King, King Nebuchadnezzar is having all these dreams and he's looking for someone who can interpret his dreams. And, um, and this guy, Daniel, who's a, an Israelite, he ends up being the guy who couldn't correctly interpret the dreams. So there, there are two stories, uh, about Daniel and his interactions with Nebuchadnezzar. So first, there is a story where um, uh, they're basically threatened. They they're they're told that they basically have to um, sort of renounce their faith in their god, or they're going to be uh, thrown into kind of a, a forging furnace and and incinerated. And uh, Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar, um, "Not worried about it, dude. If you do." Um, our God being the one true God will protect us. And even if he doesn't and we go up and smoke, um, our God's still the one true God. So we still win. We win either way, dude. We still win. Um, th- yeah. They believed that what they were doing was the truth. And his statement was that, that the truth is true no matter how much you deny it. And, mm-hmm. and if, if we believe that, if we believe that the truth is true, there's ultimately nothing to be afraid of. Yeah. Um, so then the second story of, of Nebuchadnezzar, he has this dream, okay? 
and in this dream um, there's this giant statue of him and uh, the head is gold and then the uh, the the chest is uh, is bronze and the legs are iron and the feet are clay and um, and in his dream um, these represent you know these these different things and at, at the end of the dream uh, basically the, the whole statue falls down because the because the feet crumble and so Daniel's his go-to dream interpreter guy so he's like Daniel what's going on with this and he says this is this is the history of your uh, empire right now um, you have a lot of wealth you know you've been you've been blessed by God and and you have you've amassed this property you have this lovely uh, Babylonian city and all this wealth and and great and um, you're going to fashion these beautiful uh, tools and instruments and that's this bronze uh, portion um, and then you're going to become even more imperialist imperialistic than you are and you're going to go off on great conquests and those are these legs of iron um, but at the end of it um, you're just a guy and you're going to forget that you're just a guy and that you're not a god and uh, those are your feet of clay and uh you will fail and your feet will crumble and the entire statue will fall down and and all your wealth will be lost and and it'll all come to nothing and uh nebuchadnezzar is just furious about this and so he uh to show daniel that he was wrong he makes this giant statue of pure gold and uh and says ah, see i can change i can change reality i can change the future and uh, and what ends up happening, I believe what ends up happening to the statue is because all of the gold from Babylon is in one place, when they finally do get captured, uh, when conquest finally happens, um, the entire wealth of the empire is taken away. Take it's all statue. gone yeah. in one place. So uh, it's important to remember that um, that there, we're part of a story and that there are always going to be people who think they can uh, bend reality. That's essentially what lying is. Lying is pretending that, that you get to change reality. Um, there's lying on small scales and big scales, but it never works. Uh, things go on until they can't. And, and that's true, of, especially of like this Great Reset and, and socialism and all these failed ideas. Yeah. So... There's this book, there's this really short book, it's an essay, and it's called The Politics of Obedience. Um, 100% mandatory reading for everybody who cares. Um, I'm going to post the link in the chat here. Okay. And say there's the a documentary. Name, say the name again. The, the Politics of Obedience is okay. the name of the essay. And the, the subtitle is The Discourse of Voluntary Servitude. And it's by this French guy, uh, Etienne de la... De la Boete. I, I can't speak French, but yeah. You're from Canada Politics and you can't abuse. speak French? Come on. <laughs> no. No, I'm not from Canada. I'm from Alaska. You live in Canada, yeah. Yes. Uh, anyway, we're checking out. But there's at the end of the essay, there's this paragraph, and I'm going to read it off to you. And it's, it's very important. So he says, Resolve to serve no more, and you are at once freed. I do not ask that you place hands upon the tyrant to topple him over, but that you simply support him no longer. Then you will behold him like a great colossus whose pedestal has been pulled away, fall of his own weight, and break in pieces. That goes back so, to what you said earlier about the politicians and their craving for attention. Quit giving them the attention, then they'll crumble. 
Quit giving them the attention. Quit giving them the power of your fear. Um, and it's the Nebuchadnezzar story. It's not a new story. Um, there, I'll give one little example, then, then I'm done. Um, when all of this stuff started going down, I got really afraid that my supply chain was going to get pinched uh, and that I was going to be out of a job. And so I ordered a bunch of stuff. I bought all the stock I needed to to continue building stuff through um, the pandemic, which uh, it's painful to call it that because it doesn't actually appear to be one. Yeah. Um, but and I kept I kept building stuff. And um, when I was mentally, I was thinking about poor little old me. I hope I can scrape enough crumbs together to keep putting together the product I need to sell to my to my customer who sells it to consumers. And when I Given some time and more conversations with my suppliers, my suppliers were hoping that I would continue building the thing I do because they need me to buy stuff from them, um, and we need our, we need each other's exchange to keep going. And if either of us had gotten, if either me or my suppliers or my customer had gotten so afraid that we just said, you know what, I'm just going to pull all my cash out of the bank and go off to my cabin in the woods it would have broken the livelihood of all of us. And so it's, it's um, our own sort of will. Everyone on my supply chain was fantastic. Nobody, nobody shut down or, or you know, wet their pants over this thing. Um, our will to continue doing what we feel is the highest value use of our time uh, ended up with creating a, a chain of mutual support all the way from raw materials to finished goods. Uh, so our customers could continue buying things that they feel improve their lives. And so I think the biggest thing that everybody can do is um, is be relentless. Don't, if you bag it, like you're part of this big network of people. You don't even understand how it works. And to the extent that you can be convinced that you're not important and that you're just going to, um, you know, you're just going to cash out and, and run away, um, it has negative impacts. It will cause a need for things like UBI. It will cause a need for things like, uh, you know, giant government bailouts. Uh, to the extent that you can't keep your food bank full in your city, it'll cause a need for um, federal aid, you know, and like, oh, we need FEMA to ship in. We're food. already seeing this. You know, it's already had that effect. Right. Yes. And they're, and trying, so to, they're if, trying to go round two now. It, and it works to the extent that we get afraid enough that we think that we're not the ones who prevent it from happening. Exactly. And and engagement in your livelihood and the things you're skilled at and with your community is the antidote to it. And there's nothing that uh, that authoritarians fear more than people who will take care of each other. So that's, I mean, very I don't well have anything said. to say beyond that. Yeah, very well said. It's dangerous. Really? It's dangerous to be right in matters on which the established authorities are wrong, but you still have to prove it to them and show them that they're wrong. Yep. Well, and I think one of the biggest lies um, of this whole thing is the idea that there are essential workers. Um, the guys that bring me my steel are essential workers. If my guys don't bring me steel, I can't pay my guys. You know, if you mop, if you clean the toilets at a place, you're keeping people from getting sick. If nobody cleans the toilets, you know, everybody's going to get sick and it's going to be gross. The only non-essential workers that I can think of 
are those in the media right now and to a certain degree in government. You know, obviously a big degree in government. Huge well, huge degree. Yeah, you know, like yeah, but you've got the firefighters, you've got the EMS workers. I don't consider them government. I'm talking your your politicians. You're, right, right. And yeah. so, you know, I think that that I agree 100% with what David is saying and I'm just trying to double down on it that the idea that anybody is non-essential is um is is it's just an evil idea yeah. and it and the it, fact that we let them dictate who's essential and who's not essential is is ludicrous it's absolutely well, uh, absurd it's just another de it's just an, an another element of you know dehumanizing populations mm-hmm. really i mean th- this goes back to what we were talking about before with you know assigning value like who assigns value well and everybody does right when they spend a dollar they're assigning value and and if you have a job that means somebody thinks it's worthwhile to give you a dollar to do that thing and nobody spent very few people spend money on stuff that they find completely unimportant especially right now um and and to those who have the extra cash to spread around bless you um people need it but by and large people are buying what they need right now and and maybe this you know, we, one thing that we haven't done is explicitly tie the link back to the United States. And uh, one of the mottos of the Biden-Harris campaign was build back better. And that should raise the hairs on everybody's neck whenever anybody says that after this, uh, after this episode. If you ever hear somebody say build back better, that is the Great Reset. If you hear the Green New Deal, that's the Great Reset. Um, do you guys have some other keywords that are that are getting mixed in? I know Jay had a couple that yeah, clean energy, yeah, clean energy. Well, I mean, th- yeah, there, th- there's there's a group of words that have been added to our lexicon over the or, it, it, at least over the last ten years. Let, let, let's cap it at ten to make it simple. Uh, one of the things that I I got tipped off on when I first started really looking at these various UN agendas um, was what was the local, what what was my local interaction with these things? And because I have some connections to local government, um, I started asking some questions to like to some city managers. And I said, if I, if I say to the words uh, uh, sustainability to you, um, do you have an office of sustainability? Oh yeah, that's a new thing that, you know, we got a mandate, uh, got mandated to us. And now we have the, all these new protocols that we have to unroll and it goes to, um, you know, our human resources department so that we can all get on board with this new s- sustainability policy. And you can look at your municipality and if they have any variety of office that speaks directly to that, that's your local injection. Yeah, um, totally agree with that. That goes along with that. Uh, the Georgia Guidestones, you know, create a universal language for the world. That's what I think that means. Um, there's a, we skipped over, or we didn't get to talking about normalization. Um, I'll mention it now. Okay. The four steps. Uh, there's this guy Yuri Yuri Bez, Bezmenov. Um, oh, he is, 
he has this deal. The four, he, he was a Soviet defector, and when he was in the U.S., he talked about the four steps that were necessary um, for a uh, for a a massive shift to happen in a society's values. And the steps were number one, demoralization, and that that's a ten to twenty year time frame or a fifteen to twenty year time frame. Um, number two, destabilization. That's a two to five year time frame. Number three, crisis. So you have demoralized people in a destabilized environment, and then you insert a crisis. Um, COVID. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, pick your, in this case, for sure. Uh, and then you have this period called normalization. And normalization was a Soviet uh, euphemism. So when they would go in and when they would take over an area by force, and um, and basically say, you will go along or you will be tortured. Uh, they called that normalization. And so they would say, you know, XYZ rogue area is successfully undergoing normalization right now. And uh, once they've been normalized, then, then they'll be part of the, of the Soviet um, family or whatever. And basically normalization is getting people, getting the absurd getting that which is not true to be agreed upon, getting it to be normalized. So, so it's, it's euphemistic. It's getting people to agree um, on a truth that isn't true, which is the ultimate way to undermine... Something that falls um, outside the norm, they try to make it norm. Yeah, and if you, if you, can, it's, if you can get people to... Cl- to um, if you can get people to go along with something that they know isn't true and even to profess that something that they know isn't true is true, it destabilizes their psychology. It makes them, it makes them feel lousy about themselves because they know they're lying all the time. So when you make lying the mode of being, um, you basically take away, uh, you take away the most fundamental um, uh, source of meaning that we have in our being, which is to express what we believe to be the truth in the world. Uh, so that's normalization, and that is what's going on with that language that you talked about. And success, success, <laughs> absolutely, that's it politics. is. Su- success and normalization. Success is achieved with taking control of the governing power and authority and ushering in a reset of the structure of governance. So, if you've gotten everyone to agree to absurdities, then it's really easy to flip the values of a society. Yeah. But the the antidote to all of this is simply living living within our own truth. And so those uh, a, a way that you can encounter those great reset terms is to actually engage in a dialogue with somebody about them. I had, I had an interesting um, experience last year. I had a, a house on Airbnb, and um, I, it was outside the city but inside of the county kind of. And uh, so I thought that I was outside of where bed tax was needed, but I wasn't. So I got this letter in the mail one day, and it said... Uh, you know, you're, you've been bad, basically. You owe us uh, bed tax. And right at the, like in the first sentence of the first paragraph of the letter was prison time. It was mentioned right there. And then you get to the bottom of the letter and it's like, you owe $18.50 in, in bed tax. And so I called, but the fear was right there. So I called the lady at the, uh, at the government office. And I just said, hey, I got this thing. And I don't really know what it's about. Like, I thought I was outside of this area. Do you think you can help me? It says right here that you guys are going to maybe send me to prison. And that's like, 
is that what you do? Is that your job? Do you do you chase people down? You know, I, For I hope I didn't. <laughs> yeah, I hope I didn't offend you, but I didn't. I was upset at her, but I decided she doesn't. You know, she's just a bureaucrat, yeah. and she was like, "Oh no, no, we don't do that." She's like, "I hate the way those letters are worded." You know, we're, that's not at all what we're about. And I was Boy. like, "Oh, okay. Can you can you help me on this?" And and she did, and she ended up saying, "You know what? This this back amount that you owe, don't worry about it. Like, it's not a thing. Um, we're just here to be helpful." So the fear and intimidation, th- man. That's what it. That's what it's about. Well, the, that's it, what government does. You know, it's the interactions, the interactions that you'll have. You have you have control over half of that interaction, though, is what I'm saying. And so, even when somebody's coming at you, like, you know, if somebody's coming after you to hurt you, um, because they because they hate you, and you you show them an act of kindness, this doesn't always work. Actually, I my assertion is that it does always work because it's still an act of kindness. Uh, but more often than not, they'll melt because. It's it's the same. You guys know about the idea of pushing on a string. Go ahead and elaborate. Okay, so if I if I'm holding a string and you're holding a string, and we're pulling against each other, we both get to exert force against each other, right? Um, you pull one way, it pulls me forward. I pull back, it pulls you forward. But if you push on that string, if you try to exert force when I'm just giving you slack, you can't do anything. You can't do anything to me. You're pushing on a string. Uh, Bruce Lee used to talk about. Being I was going to say that's a martial art. Uh... Yeah, his his metaphor was be water, and and that's one of. The, there's a guy. Uh, you guys know who Dale Brown is of the Detroit Threat Management Center. Mm-mm. I don't know. You guys need you guys need to do a podcast with Dale Brown. Dale Brown. He is the okay. real deal. Um, he has neutralized crime in so many Detroit neighborhoods you would not believe, and his primary technique is to engage the threat before anything bad has even happened and engage them with open arms saying we're here this is a dangerous neighborhood we're here to protect you um we're going to help escort you through here you know we'll shine some light here because it's dark and he said whenever like you guys need to talk to him but when there's somebody who comes in to do something wrong and they're engaged with open arms and like we're here to keep you safe this is a dangerous neighborhood they flee from that they flee from it. Yeah. And so that that's a similar idea. It's pushing on a string. If you and can, so when uh, make the introduction, I'd love to have him on. Oh, that would be fantastic. Yeah. Um, but we have we have opportunities to be reactionary to things that we don't like, or we have opportunities to realize that in most cases, the people who are coming at us with these things, they don't know what they're doing. And if we have the time and space, which we do right now, late we won't later. It'll be too weird later. We do right now to actually engage them and and listen to them and, and things like that. Um, you have the opportunity to de- defuse conflict and um, and to invite them to think about what they're doing. Uh, this is some Brian and I talked about was uh, with engaging local police and and mm-hmm. uh, tr- you know troopers and people like that. Right now is a great time to um, set up a weekly meeting or a monthly meeting with people in your neighborhood and local police so you can talk about, hey, we're all just here to live our lives. We all have kids. We all have wives. We all have uh, you know, a house we want to protect. And if things get weird, um, uh, our goal as a community is to protect the rights and, and freedoms and ability sure. to live our lives of each other. And um, it will be 
it will be, it's our job to discuss this with the people who have been told that they're supposed to um, enforce laws. And it's their job to understand that they serve the community and not their boss. And where the community stands. Yeah. That's, that's right. It's a so good like way to keep, keep check on if this happens, how are you guys going to react? Because this is how we're going to react kind of thing. And it, then once they yeah. see that, then they'll adjust, hopefully, you know, they'll adjust their course of actions. If it's if your kids, if your kids are playing with his, with the, with the cops, kids, you know, and your wife knows his wife. Go and, to the same church. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Right. Live in the and, same neighborhood. And, and somebody comes in and to the cops and says, you need to find this guy. Cause I went into his store and he wasn't wearing a mask. It's not going to happen. Right. It, David God's brings up happen. a really good point that, um, it's never been a shittier time to be a cop and, um, like a lot of hate out there for the cops. And, um, it's never been a shittier time to be in government. If you're in local or state government, there is no upside. If you're not a psychop like Bill de Blasio, I think is loving this right now. Um, but accepting guys like that, where you have a normal town with normal people in it, you know, the, the mayor in our town worked at the Safeway for 30 years or something. And um, these are normal people trying to do good. And they did not ask for this to be part of their deal. You know, they thought they were dealing with city parks and, you know, make it, hopefully, you know, making the town better or, or whatever, bringing business. And now they're having to deal with this. And there's very little upside and a ton of downside. And my... My suspicion is that there's more fear in government than anywhere else right now. And so David brings up a brilliant point, you know, that that fear can go a couple different ways. You can relieve it or it can turn to anger. Um, you know, there's there, there's a cry, you know, it's sort of the definition of a crisis is is a point yeah. where things can yeah. go a couple different ways. And uh yeah, it's a brilliant strategy David's got laid out. And you're out talking there. you're talking talking dangerous for local government at this at this point. Local and state. Like if these governors don't handle this well, they're going they're to be not. <laughs> well, mean, no, that, that that's a relativistic statement though, dude, because like, you know, th there are some states that are handling this in, in much much um different ways than uh than some others. No, obviously, uh, yeah. You know, I mean, I, it, and it stands you know, out I in mean, the media. Like, well, uh, yeah, but I, but talk about real things, not the media, and like. Well, like I mean, they're covering state. real things with these governors that are imposing these uh, restrictions on people. But yet, you go and then they're sitting at this, uh, you know, three hundred dollar a plate restaurant. Yeah, I saw. Yeah, I saw the Gav I saw the Gavin picks today too. You yeah. know, like, um, the, 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 there there are some very real insurgencies that are occurring in this country right now. Um, there and there are also some very real counterinsurgencies that are uh, building. Um, with that, though, um, before I lose this point, man. Um, no, I think you were talking about. I'll, I'll jog you, Jay. Like Ron DeSantis, and I forget the name of the governor of Texas. Those guys right. are doing Abbott, some very yeah, different things. Right, Abbott and Captain Ron. Right. Um, are, are, I like to refer to him as Captain Ron. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I'd hang out with him. I'd hang out with my governor. Right. 
Um, you have, like, my governor. You have Texas governor. You've got... Tennessee's you, governor. You know. I don't know. Ours is a good him. governor, yeah. He's doing good stuff. Maybe. I, that's what I hear. I don't hear very many complaints about y'all Tennesseans. Yeah. Except for about you Tennesseans. But it's very, very relative as to how your community is responding. Okay. So like we, you know, here, here in Florida, we, we, I mean, it's Florida, man. So, I mean, like we have, we have a high potential for random violence. However, everything's been very, very cool while other portions of the country have been making every attempt, every feasible attempt to create anarchy. Right. And largely, you know, fail because they, you know, they even suck at that, right? Because they <laughs> fail, they, they fail to commit to their violence. Like they won't own their violence, um, which is ultimately a good thing because then more motivated people who are comfortable with violence would be forced to interact with them to protect their good shit. And then, you know, you have this negative circular causation that just makes it a fucking huge shit show. However, um, the threat of violence is always there, right? Um, and this community building that that we're talking about, right? I'm good friends with the five O that live on my street for exactly the reasons that that David pointed out. My daughter happens to play with uh, with his daughter because they're in the same grade. They're not in the same class, but they're in the same grade and. I've made, we've spoken about this in, in, in um, other podcasts. I have gone out of my way after living in this um, neighborhood for a few years that during these trying times, I want to know who the, who the people are in my neighborhood. You know, I got Mr. I got very Mr. Rogers around here and um, I want to know who's who, who's cool, who's not cool. Who's a threat and, and what level of threat do they actually um, pose? And almost a year into this experience, I have actually measured a very low threat on my street. And I have a couple people that are like, you know, actors that may or may not act out. But I've done my work, right? I've done my area study. My area study is complete for my, for my street anyways. Yeah. But that's hundred. That's a hundred homes. So, and we've talked about that, like you said, in in, in other podcasts. Uh, so, definitely, it is important, especially in these times. But anytime, you know, you want to know, yeah. you want to know who you're living by. So, I mean, that's that's a very you, good point. And and do. take it to the next step, like uh, David had said. And, um, uh, you know, we were going to do a show on this too, but. Um, I'm glad you brought it up, David, but get to know your local authorities and even like Brian said, your, you know, your local government officials too, not just your, uh, you know, your law enforcement. It goes a very long way. And then, you know, you kind of get the gold star with what David's talking about and parallels, uh, our, our, uh, mutual friend Yeager's idea of that you'll have way more chances to be a hero by saving somebody's life than taking it. And oh, these deaths of despair are a real thing. And, you know, David's been doing some really great work, um, 
over in Canada there, and I assume in, in Alaska as well, with working with folks with addiction. And, you know, drug and alcohol use is just through the roof now. And so people that, that were doing okay are not doing okay now. Mm-mm. And, um, you know, talk about a wonderful thing if you get a chance to intervene and make a positive difference in somebody's life who's not doing so well. Um, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a big deal. And also, you know, multiple religions uh, talk about that being the, the fastest way to joy is through helping other people. And so, you know, probably way better than a Prozac is to go, <laughs> you know, help, some help, you know, if you the old lady down the street, maybe rake her leaves or something. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, there's, there's good medicine the whole way around there. And it certainly strikes a real blow to these folks trying to destabilize our communities. Yeah. There's another, there's another win baked into doing that kind of stuff too, which are the, um, the folks who we may be tempted to think of as um, as enemies, their narrative, um, the narrative they're living out, whether they know it or not, is at least veiled in caring and um, equality and helping those who have been forgotten. Right. That's at least that's at least the language that's part of their narrative. And um, if you're actually, if you as an individual or you and your wife or you and your family are going and meeting the people in need and actually working with them and you encounter, you know, an SJW or a cancel culture person or a, you know, a Biden-Harris voter or something uh, in your neighborhood and they start giving you this rap, you can say, yeah, yeah, you know, uh, my wife and I actually um, know this couple and we, we go and have dinner with them once a week and they're having a real hard time. Or we go, you know, serve at the soup kitchen or whatever. Would you like to come with us and be part of the change instead of just be talking about it? And if they say no, then they don't get to bring up their narrative with you anymore. You're done with it. Yeah. Um, exactly. And if they say yes, the experience that they'll have is they'll realize that the problems in their society can't be solved with laws and doling out money. They'll realize it's way more complicated than that. So if you're engaged with those folks, you can, if you're engaged with the people who are struggling in your community, you can invite people from the so-called political left to join you in making society better. And I think most of them are well-meaning and would come with you and go, whoa, this problem is way more complex than I thought. Absolutely. Uh, Yeah. That's a great point, and I think that's a good point for us to end on, uh, and because it, it goes great with this this quote that I'm going to say right here, uh, and it's from uh, Archbishop Vigiano. If I said his oh, name, okay. I don't speak Italian, yeah. but uh, he yeah he made this quote the other day. It says, "This great reset is destined to fail because those who planned it do not understand that there are still people ready to take to the streets." to defend their rights, to protect their loved ones, to give a future to their children and their grandchildren. And just like you said, that extends out to our neighbors, you know, our friends as well. Uh, as we see that, that this, this lockdown, you know, these, these quarantines are doing more harm than good, uh, you know, we got to get out there and we have to be active, we have to be social course you know there are some people brian mentioned in the last episode elderly 
people who have pre-existing conditions, you still, just like you would if you had a cold or a flu, I mean, you would do that anyway. You know, you would take the proper uh, steps to ensure against that. But Thanksgiving is coming up. Christmas is coming up. The big holidays, you know, this is the the highest historically uh, every year of suicide rates. I mean, imagine what they're going to be this year if people cannot socialize with one another, with their loved ones. You know, you can't do that. You have to visit your loved ones. You have to visit your families. You have to still press and press on and, and take part in these, uh, these gatherings. Uh, I mean, otherwise, you know, we're going to, what was that stone? 500 million, 500 million uh, citizens in the world. You know, we're going to slowly dwindle down to that. Uh, so we don't want that to happen. But David, it's been a pleasure having you on. Thank you so much for taking the time. And uh, I learned a lot, man. Brian, you were right. He's as close as we get to a Renaissance man that I've met. And uh, it's been a real honor getting to talk with him over these last few years. Thank you guys. Yeah, for the, it was actually the one that brought me into voluntarism. Um, when we first met, uh, yeah, he gave me the market for Liberty, uh, and, uh, another classic book by the Tannehills. And, uh, yeah, that, that kicked off my, I was, I was scratching around looking for Liberty and, uh, he was my, my guide, which obviously was a, uh, yeah, most of the stuff that I've said on these Liberty series I got from him. So he's yeah. the, he's the teacher. David, where can our listeners go and, and learn more about you and listen to your radio show? And do you have social media and things like that? Where can they uh, start following you? Um, the radio show would be a good place to go. It's uh, go to YouTube and look for Patriots Lament, um, Patriots Lament Radio. All the shows are up there. It's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, um, RSS.com. All the major podcasting apps. All the major ones. Um, it's it's a local kind of rambly call-in show, uh, but it's fun. And as far as resources go, I don't have social media. I, I try to keep my life uh, to people Smart I know man. in person these days. Um, but if people want to read stuff, the two places I would recommend they go uh, would be TargetLiberty.com. Uh, my friend Robert Wenzel runs that site. Cool. It is fantastic. And then the other one would be Mises.org the Mises Institute and Jeff Deist, uh, the director of the Mises Institute has done some amazing presentations and written some amazing essays this year. So those would be resources I would recommend for people. Okay. Very good. Uh, again, thank you so much. And, uh, Bledheads, make sure you go and thank those who make this show possible. All our sponsors, uh, like Caltech weapons, check them out. Caltechweapons.com, Fioki, USA, FiokiUSA.com, Mission First Tactical, Occam Defense Solutions, good buddy Brian Keeney up there in Idaho, Moscow, Idaho, <laughs> Factory 47, 1776 United, Modern Spartan Systems, uh, and don't forget about our AK training class, AK-47 training class that we've got with Jared at 212 Tactical, which uh, Jared's at some big party right now, some... Uh, Travis Haley new knife reveal party or something like that so he couldn't join us um, but he did call in a little bit and rub it in in our faces but that class is going to be February 20, 20th and 21st in Nashville, Tennessee and you can go to 
uh, Training's website to sign up for that. Uh, and, and that's 212firearmstraining.com, if I remember correctly. Yeah, he's got like two two different ways you can oh, look it up. Okay, got yeah. it. Yeah, either one of those will be fine. And I've got links. Uh, we've got posts on social media where you can go click and uh, go sign up for those. Uh, it's not your your typical class. We make it fun. We've got giveaways. We've got swag. And we're going to have some interesting cats that uh, will be attending. Brian is still planning on being there. He's going to bring the ODS 1775 for you to try out. And maybe even a full auto version of that. Yeah, yeah. And we'll be doing, I don't know if we'll do it at a lunch hour or what, um, but we'll be doing an armorer's class within the class as well. So I'll be showing you guys the, the basics of fitting fire control groups and general care and feeding of uh, the action on a 17 or on, on any AKM. Um, and if you got a 1775, of course, to work on that too. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be a great uh, class course uh, and then all the extras that we throw in. That's what you get with uh, a talking lead training course. We like to take care of our students. Go sign up now. There are only 20 slots available, and those are filling up fast. So go sign up today. It's in February, like I said, February 20th through the 21st. Two-day course. So that does it for another episode of the Talking Lead Podcast, Leadheads. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Uh, and make sure you go show David a big thanks and appreciation for being on the show. Go listen to his uh, radio show. Apparently, you can call in and talk to him. So maybe you'll get lucky enough to talk to talk to him on his radio show. But until then, as always, Leadheads, keep your loved ones close. And your ODS 1775 closer. And any faith but submission. And your love of enemies at the forefront of your mind. Look at Indeed. you. Indeed. Darcy.